TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here. On TuneIn, go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. Odyssey celebrates the class of 2024, brought to you by T-Mobile. You can count on T-Mobile to help you stay connected on America's largest 5G network. Good morning, everybody. Hardline here on News Radio 930 WBEN. It's Joe Beamer and... Brenda Alacy. Brenda, good morning. Brenda, good morning. Good morning. How are you doing this morning? I'm doing well, Brenda. How are you? Well, we're social distancing. We're doing our deal here. So, so far, so good. I hope everybody is safe and uh, feeling fine. All right. Sounds good. Let's get this show on the road. You know, we've heard a lot from D.C., but it's always nice to talk to someone who's in D.C. and no better person to talk to than Dave Leventhal. Dave, good morning. Hey, Joe. How are you? Dave, I'm doing well. How are you doing uh, amid this COVID-19? Hey, uh, we're safe. We're healthy. So we got a lot to be thankful for very much in that regard. But I'll tell you, Washington, D.C. is uh, is a city unlike I've ever seen it before. And I suspect the same would be said by anyone who does live here. You you walk the streets, uh, maintaining a six feet minimum distance. Uh, Oftentimes it it might as well be 600 feet distance because there's just not a whole lot of people who are out right now. So here we are in the nation's capital, the seat of power for uh, the entire world, and uh, you, you feel like you're in, uh, you know, small town Nebraska or something. It's a really surreal uh, situation, Jeff. Now, you know, even with coronavirus going on, Dave, it is still a very active Washington, D.C., well, at least the capital. Uh, obviously, the news this week, everyone's talking about this, these stimulus checks or deposits that are going to get to the bank account. And first we heard, wow, we could have to wait till May or June Well, now we're hearing April 9th. Where are we on these stimulus checks, and when can the average Joe see these stimulus checks? It's going to depend uh, on a couple of technical things. Uh, Do you receive your money by paper check? That's going to take a little bit longer then. Uh, Do you get a direct deposit? Uh, That's going to be something that will be a little bit quicker. People are going to get their money if they do qualify for it. And you need to check some of the websites that the government uh, has put out and uh, some news organizations, too, to calculate exactly how much money you're going to get. Because if you make more money to begin with, the chances of you getting that full paycheck go down the more you make. So definitely pay attention to that. Uh, But there is a question, Joe, as to you know, how the stimulus is is actually going to work in practice when it comes to people spending money. Obviously, so many people are uh, losing their jobs or on furlough. They have uh, been laid off. They've been fired uh, because of the coronavirus situation. And as a result, uh, this money that's being intended for economic stimulus may just simply go to pay bills. It may go to to bolster savings. Uh, And will this actually be a stimulus or will this be more survival cash for people who are very, very concerned that uh, they won't be able to meet uh, critical obligations, paying the rent, paying their mortgage, being able to put food on the table for their family. These are all concerns that uh, millions of Americans all across the country have in mind right now. So we don't really know how it's going to play out in practice, Jeff. 
All right. One more uh, on Capitol Hill, and then we might move to the White House. So, you know, a lot of us are either working from home or working with half the staff working from home. Some of us are doing half and half. Now, we've seen Congress and Senate on the Hill, uh, especially when it was to pass the stimulus check. What are Congress people and senators doing right now? And will they reconvene on Capitol Hill during this coronavirus? We fully expect that they will physically reconvene back in the U.S. Capitol on Capitol Hill. Uh, There's not going to be a new system put in place for, say, members of Congress to vote remotely. Uh, The system just isn't set up to do that. So it's going to be kind of a bizarre situation, given the close quarters, uh, again, physically speaking, for them. There have been several members of Congress, uh, including Senator Rand Paul, perhaps most notably, who have contracted the coronavirus uh, who have symptoms of uh, COVID-19. So that's a concern, too. And many of the members of Congress are in their 60s or in their 70s or even 80s. So they, to begin with, are more at risk of contracting the coronavirus in the first place and could have worse outcomes if they do ultimately get it. So these are real considerations uh, for Congress meeting up. That all being said, we're talking here in Washington, D.C., constantly about what's going to be included in a fourth round of relief for uh, financial considerations for uh, the response to the coronavirus situation. And uh, right now, that's a kind of a big battle. Uh, There's a lot of different things that are being talked about that could be included in a new bill that goes well above and beyond even the $2 trillion package that was passed most recently, and this latest iteration of a relief package could include lots of things uh, all the way up to uh, infrastructure funding to, number one, get people working and also to address uh, just a huge, huge backload of problems uh, and backlist of problems uh, all across the country with roads and bridges and other types of transportation that coronavirus or no coronavirus needs to be dealt with. So you can almost harken back to the days of the 1930s and uh, work, you know, public works projects and whatnot. Uh, this is something that you're going to be hearing a lot about, I, I would suspect, Joe, over the next couple of weeks. Dave, uh, a question for you. Uh, there was a report that Adam Schiff, uh, the congressman from California, would uh, like to convene a 9-11-style independent commission to examine why the nation was so unprepared for the pandemic, as he put it. Uh, what are you hearing about that possibility? And I apologize, Barbara, I, I couldn't hear your question when you talked, Joe, if uh, you... Oh, yeah, Dave, so, so Brenda's question was that Adam Schiff is proposing this idea of having a 9-11 type commission to investigate why the United States was not uh, prepared for coronavirus as it should have been. Yeah, and I, we've all heard that, too. Now, whether that's going to happen uh, remains very much to be seen. I think there's a kind of minimal appetite at this moment in time for starting up some sort of a commission to investigate. Will that happen in the future? Quite possibly. But since we're in emergency mode, it, uh, as about as acute a level as one could get right now, I do not foresee the U.S. House of Representatives anytime soon putting together a commission such as that or, or anything really uh, in that realm. There are logistical hurdles just to getting the commission together. And uh, obviously, we've uh, got a, a terrible situation, which is very fluid right now, where the, the Congress has kind of got bigger fish to fry, so to speak. 
Dave, you know, we've seen these these daily briefings from the president, his coronavirus task force, uh, and they've turned into these two hour ordeals. Are those going to really continue for another month? Has there been any discussion to shorten those uh, to maybe not have the president at all of them? Or is this going to be the norm for the next month or so? I would expect it to be the norm, at least for the foreseeable future, Joe. Uh, the president, number one, it's his prerogative to do these types of press conferences. Uh, if he didn't want to do them, then he wouldn't be doing them. It also comes at a time, too, where he is unable to do one of his favorite things to do as president of the United States, which is travel the country and campaign to uh, conduct the five, ten, twenty thousand person rallies that he's been so well known for and, and that he feeds off of. He gets great energy from and he's conducted dozens upon dozens of those since becoming president of the United States back in January of twenty seventeen and he hasn't been able to do one for uh, what's going on five weeks right now. So as a result, these press conferences, not to call them campaign rallies at all, but it's a way for him to connect with his constituency. It's his way to connect with the American people. And it's definitely his way to communicate to people who might be showing up to his rallies or watching or listening to his rallies. And despite what the president says, and you may have gotten emails or heard rumors that the networks aren't going to cover these or that these are not going to be live streamed anymore. Everyone is live streaming them. They're very easy to find. Uh, Nobody's going to have any trouble being able to see the president uh, actually conduct these conferences. So there's a question as to uh, ultimately the, the benefit of them. Uh, is there going to be useful new information that's going to come out of them? And I've listened to most or read the transcripts of uh, effectively all of them. And absolutely, there's some very important information that does come out of every single press conference that the president conducts. There's also sometimes uh, a lot of stuff that uh, is tantamount to rumors or innuendo or the latest uh, medical quick fix uh, for potentially helping people with the uh, who've contracted the coronavirus, which uh, the information may be good or bad. We don't know at this point. And, and there's definitely a lot of opportunity for the president to settle political scores with Democrats, with Governor Andrew Cuomo, with various other people uh, who the president uh, is not happy with, including members of the press corps who are asking him questions. So it's definitely a made-for-TV type of event, and it's something that the president seems to like very much. And he's even used as a, as a campaign tool to raise money for on the political end of the spectrum through his campaign, which, of course, is still going on ahead of November of this year when we vote. Yeah, speaking of the campaign, which obviously has taken a backseat uh, which is, and, and is necessary, where do we stand on the Democrat side of things? Uh, we've seen a few of these Joe Biden um, streaming rallies or press conferences. And uh, Dave, this is not meant for political commentary, uh, but he hasn't looked all that good in these appearances. Where do we stand on the Democrat primary or is it pretty much on a halt right now? Well, it's you know, both both sides are on, on ice when it comes to physically campaigning, but that's a much bigger deal for Joe Biden uh, in the sense uh, he is effectively the Democratic nominee. Bernie Sanders is still technically in the race, but it's uh, almost a foregone conclusion at this point that Joe Biden is going to be the nominee. But Joe Biden has had a huge amount of trouble raising money. And the way that Joe Biden has most effectively raised money, Joe, is by doing in-person big dollar fundraisers in places like New York City or 
L.A. or in Texas, uh, some of the piggy banks of, uh, of both parties, but uh, especially for Joe Biden, you can't do that right now. So there's a major question, especially with the uh, with the Democratic primary being pushed a month into the future. It was supposed to be conducted in July. It's not going to be conducted, at least the latest iteration, in August. And all the money that Joe Biden raises uh, it, it, at this point, uh, which is not as much as he would like it to be, he's going to have to rely on money he's raising toward the primary even more before he taps his general election money, uh, which is may seem like a kind of a trivial detail, but it's actually quite important when it comes to being able to compete dollar for dollar against Donald Trump, who has been running for president quite literally since the day of his inauguration when he filed paperwork with the Federal Election Commission to raise money for his reelection. So Donald Trump the Republican Party, they have a major cash advantage at this point. And uh, Joe Biden, uh, you know, by virtue of him or lack of virtue, if you're a Democrat, uh, can't do the things that he needs to do in order to run his campaign well. So he's taking kind of a major backseat right now. And the spotlight very much is not on him, despite, you know, sort of these uh, every once in a while type of public appearances and statements that he's made. It's just not a very high profile way to run a campaign at a time when we all would expect uh, that uh, the, the Democrat and the Republican votes would be getting equal attention. That just simply is not the case because of the situation on the ground. Dave, a question about uh, the two doctors that are so prominently featured in the uh, president's press conferences or, you know, updates, uh, Dr. Deborah Burks and Dr. Anthony Fauci. It seems like uh, the president is giving them a little more time now to really explain what's happening, show their charts and so forth. Uh, what are you hearing about uh, any sort of tension uh, between Dr. Fauci and the president? Well, there's always going to be tension with almost anyone who's in Donald Trump's sphere, who hasn't been on the up and who hasn't been on the down uh, in his administration at some point, save perhaps for the people closest to him who he's literally related to, uh, his daughter Ivanka, his son-in-law Jared. Uh, You know, people uh, definitely can uh, get on his uh, bad side as uh, quickly as they can get on his good side and and back again. Uh, I think you just need to look at who's just there in the press conference. Uh, both uh, of the two doctors that you mentioned are incredible professionals uh, who have been for decades uh, working in this. Uh, do they have a political consideration in mind when they're saying any of the things that they have said over the past many weeks? Uh, quite, uh, quite seriously, no. You know, They are medical professionals who want to keep people safe. They want to keep the population of this country coronavirus free and they want to provide medical information that's going to be useful that people can take to heart and can act on to keep themselves safe. So that may be different than what a politician uh, will will have in mind when a politician, whether it's Donald Trump or anyone else, uh, is is talking about because uh, there, there may be economic considerations, there may be political considerations that they too have in mind in addition to public safety, public health. So, uh, but, you know, that's why you have to pay attention to medical uh, professionals, uh, because ultimately they're the ones who have the research, have the knowledge and uh, and and have the know-how to uh, explain what the uh, effect of the coronavirus is right now and quite possibly could be, depending on projections going forward. One of the terms that uh, the doctors like to use is modeling. And uh, it seemed like, I don't know if the president was trying to inject a little levity into the uh, proceedings, but he made a joke about it's not the type of model that he knew or something to that effect. Uh, it didn't seem like that went over too well, Dave. Uh, probably not. Uh, and, and, you know, look, it's uh, it, it's not a time for humor when you were, were getting into a period, Barbara, where I uh, 
you know, most of us probably know somebody at this point uh, who has COVID-19 or know somebody who knows somebody who's had COVID-19, perhaps even know somebody who has died from the disease now. And that's especially acute in a place like New York State, uh, obviously New York City for sure, but increasingly in the Buffalo area as well. And you look at the maps, uh, you look at where uh, the coronavirus uh, has, has cropped up. It's in every U.S. state, but even places where a week ago there were hardly any cases, uh, places out in the Midwest or out in the West, uh, it, it's starting to hit home in, in a profound way, too. South Dakota, for example, hardly had any cases, but the first lawmaker in the nation who has died from uh, COVID-19 was in South Dakota, a state representative. This just happened. So it's getting to the point right now where most people are very scared. Uh, they're very concerned if they're not scared. And, uh, you know, making jokes uh, that uh, kind of harken back to an unsavory time for the president is something that isn't sitting well with a whole lot of folks, uh, at least that I've talked to. So uh, we'll see if the president uh, changes his tone. Uh, he's gone from uh, the comedic to the very serious and everywhere in between during these press conferences. And, hey, you know, uh, it can't be all doom and gloom all the time. Uh, there's definitely a, a time for levity in all of this and looking for, for humor to keep yourself, uh, you know, mentally in the game. But, uh, you yeah, know, when you're doing it in front of uh, a national audience such as that, uh, sometimes the, the jokes can fall a little flat. Dave, you know, uh, we're seeing this state by state response, and there's been some calls to have a federal response, a, a federal lockdown. Uh, it doesn't look like we're going to go in that direction. But is there any talk on Capitol Hill uh, a, a, about how poorly Florida responded to this? I mean, it seems like their response was so delayed that that might push for more of a national response. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think you have to look back as so much has happened in, in the past month. Uh, look back to what governors, what, what state lawmakers were saying, not yesterday, not this past week, but a month ago. And a month ago at this time, Joe, you still had many, many governors saying this is going to be a whole lot of nothing. This is overblown. We don't have to do anything. This is not something that's going to affect us, not something that's going to affect our state. Uh, that was happening all over. That was also coming from the White House, too, at times as well. So the response has been very all over the map as to how seriously to take the situation, which obviously now is a full-blown crisis. Uh, that's not laying blame on anyone, but it's just underscoring the, the, the true fact that state by state, each individual state has taken the situation uh, seriously in a different way or not seriously at the same time that other states took it seriously. And the response, accordingly, has been different. Uh, the, the mobilization of different types of supplies, uh, the, uh, the, the timing of shutting down different uh, parts of uh, a city or a state, uh, what could stay open, what was not going to stay open. And also, too, it, it's not like the federal government can just come in and snap its fingers. Uh, we're a, a country of 50 different states. There are rules and regulations that, that govern those 50 states that are different from one another, which is why New York State has acted so differently than Florida. And Florida has acted so differently than California. The federal government is there to obviously coordinate and support and, and provide a great deal of, of leadership. But Donald Trump just can't wave a magic wand and shut everything down or keep everything open. That's very much going to be up to state authorities and even local authorities or, for that matter, private authorities. Uh, it's up to an individual business in some cases to 
preemptively closed down. You had many colleges and universities that were really at the vanguard of all of this, uh, closing down classes or going online even before any government was doing anything. So is that going to change in the future for any future pandemic or pandemic planning? Quite possibly. I think we're seeing right now that uh, because of the just the global nature of this, uh, a virus that doesn't care about borders, that our notion of, uh, of lines of delineation, of borders, of jurisdiction, uh, it, it, it kind of doesn't fit the moment uh, in major ways, even though that's the way we have to deal with it because of the laws and the regulations that we have in place for ourselves all across the country. Hey, Dave, Brenda here with one last question. Uh, the na- a name in the news that people may not be familiar with and then becomes headlines is Captain Brett Crozier of the USS Theodore Roosevelt. And he was fired after writing a four-page memo pleading for help on the ship. What are you hearing uh, in the Washington, D.C. area about uh, the, the fallout from that? I guess he was a very popular uh, commander on that ship. He was very popular. And, and really what this uh, comes down to is, uh, you know, whether this was politically motivated or, or not. Uh, and I don't think we have a clear answer to that. Uh, the captain was uh, fired by the uh, acting Secretary of the Navy. Uh, and uh, you had Mark Esper, the defense secretary, this morning saying, look, you know, basically this was the uh, secretary of the Navy's call. Uh, we didn't have confidence in his ability to, uh, to, to operate in the chain of command. And that, that is the prerogative of the secretary of, of the Navy or the secretary of defense. This has happened before. Uh, it's happened before very quickly. Uh, the Navy is known for moving swiftly if they don't have the confidence in a commander or a captain of a ship to remove them. Uh, although there have been plenty of flashpoints in the past where you've had captains who have been in uh, in limbo or have made a decision that was uh, potentially damaging or problematic uh, within the chain of command of the Navy who have been able to stay in their posts uh, pending an investigation. That didn't happen at this point, although there is an investigation that's going on after the fact. Uh, so it's, uh, it's definitely, you know, on one hand, uh, a captain trying to look out for his crew. And uh, I've had family members in the Navy, so, uh, you know, definitely can appreciate uh, the, uh, you know, the, the esprit de corps that could take a hit as a result of this. But also, too, the, the chain of command in the Navy is something that's a very, very serious affair as well. So, uh, so expect to hear more about this. And also, too, it will be curious to see what happens with other ships going forward that almost certainly are going to be facing similar types of situations just because of the close quarters that uh, all of the sailors live in in a situation such as that. Dave, quickly, we have 20 seconds. Have you seen Tiger King yet? <laughs> I have not. Not going to watch it. I'm... Probably Joe just going to stick to, you know, reruns of Star Trek. All right. Sounds good. Hey, Dave, thank you so much for joining us. Have a great weekend. You too. Thanks, Joe. All right. And don't miss Dave with Susan and Brian on Tuesday at 7.50, his usual spot. All right. Coming up next, State Senator Pat Galvin will join us 11 o'clock. The governor will have his daily briefing. And at noon, Mayor Byron Brown will join Brenda and I. It's Hardline here on News Radio 930 WBEN. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. Back clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on and even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here 
on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. It's over here. After investing billions to light up our network, T-Mobile is America's largest 5G network. Plus, right now, you can switch, keep your phone, and we'll pay it off up to $800. See how you can save on every plan versus Verizon and AT&T at T-Mobile.com slash across America. Up to four lines via virtual prepaid card. Allowed 15 days. Qualifying unlocked device credit service ported 90 plus days with device and eligible carrier and timely redemption required. Card has no cash access and expires in six months. It's Hardline here on News Radio 930 WBEN. Joe Beamer, Brenda Alacy with you until 1 this afternoon. And then Tom Bowerly takes over. The next few hours, we have State State Senator Pat Galvin on the line now. At 11, Governor Cuomo will give his daily briefing. And then at noon, the mayor of Buffalo, Mayor Byron Brown, will join us for a few segments. Good to be with you here on a Sunday. Let's say good morning to State Senator Pat Galvin. Uh, Senator Galvin, how are you doing? I'm doing doing just fine. Good morning, Joe and Brenda. Good morning, Senator. Good morning, Senator. Strange times to be sure. Um, This is uh, Palm Sunday, a holy week unlike any other. Passover is just a few days away, Uh, Ramadan. So uh, life is really uh, turned upside down for all of us. How are things going with uh, your colleagues in Albany? Well, um, it, it was a different session and a different budget season, to be sure, because of the coronavirus and everything that people are facing. Uh, and first and foremost, uh, my, my colleagues are concerned um, for their families, for their constituents. Um, it hit the legislature. There's three three members of the assembly, I believe, uh, have tested positive for coronavirus. I know one is on a ventilator. And in the Senate, um, Senator Jim Seward from uh, the central New York area, uh, he's also in the hospital. So we have great concern for our colleagues, our families, and our constituents, that their health before anything else. Definitely, definitely. And um, when will be the next time everyone meets in Albany for, uh, for a session? Well, nothing is scheduled right now. The, the original legislative session uh, provides for essentially six months. The first three months, we focus on the budget. And when that budget is finished on or around April 1st, there was a two-week break already scheduled. So we would not be in Albany this week or next week uh, at all. Um, so right now, it's open-ended. Uh, the schedule is still, still in place, but it, it certainly won't be followed. But I anticipate that we'll go back at some time. I think we need to get through the, the crisis at hand first, and then ultimately uh, we could be we could see an abbreviated session late spring or perhaps even going back sometime in the fall. All right. Now, this week uh, there was a budget passed in Albany. What did that budget look like, and where were the significant cuts made? Well, it's interesting. Um, a lot of the a lot of the cuts that were made were backfilled by federal money, but all of this came with an asterisk. For instance, education spending, uh, foundation aid was flat, uh, carried over the same as last year. Some of the expense-based aid; those are things that are paying for school books, OCs, things of that nature that school districts spent last year. They get reimbursed this year. That's slightly up. The problem, or the 
the issue facing us, though, is the state taxpayer share of that funding is about a billion dollars lower than it was last year, and that's backfilled by the federal economic stimulus package. And so the concern, uh, two concerns going forward, is that money likely is not available to us next year. And the larger concern is that the legislature, um, and I was opposed to this, gave tremendous authority and flexibility to the governor for the governor to make unilateral cuts if revenues did not meet expectations. So all of the the things that were funded, the big things especially that were funded, uh, education, aid to municipalities, uh, funding for for highways, um, so-called chips funding and extreme winter recovery money, a lot of a lot of funding in the area of Medicaid. They all come with an asterisk that provides that the governor, the budget director, uh, has the ability to withhold payments to, to municipalities, to school districts, hospitals, if revenues don't meet expectations. And that's something I think that members of the legislature ceded too much authority to the governor. Brenda? Uh, so, Pat, you'll have to excuse us because there's a little bit of a delay here with uh, Joe's at the studio. I'm at home, so bear with us. Um, the question for you about, you know, this is a very fluid, dynamic situation, uh, obviously, and from day to day it changes, and sometimes from hour to hour. Um, what sort of feedback are you getting from your constituents about the coronavirus and how it's affecting their day-to-day -day life? What can you do at this point for them? We try to provide them with information. We have uh, our staff continues to work. Most everybody's working from home. We're trying to make sure that, that we're available for constituents of questions, concerns they might have. Be able to provide information where they can go get assistance if needed, where they can they can learn uh, about the things that they can do. We are getting uh, a lot of a lot of complaints, uh, and it's been highly publicized, of course. Though so, people are concerned, they're not working, they're not sure they're going to be able to pay their bills, and so a lot of concerns about unemployment and system having the ability to process all those claims. I do know that, that the executive uh, was putting additional resources to try to alleviate the, the labor department being overwhelmed. Uh, and hopefully that's something that will take place in the near future. But people are concerned first about their health, uh, their physical health, and then about their economic health. And, and questions come in in all sorts, businesses, are rightfully concerned, many of them not knowing if the doors are going to open. People are concerned about the uncertainty of things. And what we're trying to do is we're, we're, we're trying to provide them with information when we can, help to solve problems, individual problems that might have, and guide them and point them in the right direction. But for all of us, this, this, these are uncharted times, and everybody faces the uncertainty. So I understand the anxiety. But we will get through this. There's no question about that. And hopefully people, uh, whether they're elected officials, whether they're community leaders, whether they're the average citizen, people working together can help us get through all of it. 
Uh, Senator Gallivan, so we've seen the federal stimulus package uh, that individuals are benefiting from and small business. Will there be something like that uh, from the state, or is that going to be left to the federal government? Well, several weeks ago, uh, I I do know that we we did pass some emergency legislation providing um, initially $40 million to be able to, for the governor to be able to use that in response. I think it's something that will be to be determined. Uh, The state has done certain things like waiving the seven-day waiting period for unemployment. Um, We came through the budget season. The idea was to try to provide a budget where services, needed services, can can continue. School districts can continue. Healthcare can continue. But I think it will be a work in progress. A lot will depend on what ultimately the federal government does or doesn't do. I know that there's talk of an additional stimulus package from the federal government. We don't know whether that will be coming or not. I think in the short term, though, it's dealing with the crisis at hand and trying to get through this and then slowly work our way back to normalcy. Senator, uh, you know, the, the state, I think, is buckling under the number of cases. We've become the epicenter New York State has. Do you feel like you're out on a bit of an island right now because the focus is just on trying to uh, stem the tide of this uh, rampant virus? Well, this, while this is something that we haven't seen, um, we, we need, need to deal with the crisis at hand. And then ultimately, um, we will have to dig out from it and learn from it so that we can be better prepared for the future. Uh, New York City is unlike any place in the world. So it's with the density of that population and what we are learning about the coronavirus and its, uh, and its rapid spread, how contagious that is, it isn't so much of a, of a surprise. But ultimately, what takes place in New York City with something like this ultimately does reach the rest of the population and we're seeing it in all parts of the state, including Western New York and in all parts of the country. But of course, coming back to Western New York, I, I think our focus should be providing the assistance where we can. That's uh, all elected officials at every level, whether it's state, county, local, and various members of the community. Uh, and we see that. We see people stepping up and pitching in in trying to address the the immediate concerns, personal protective equipment, making people ha- making sure people have food, shelter, things of that nature. Now, as the former uh, sheriff of Erie County, I know you're very involved with uh, law enforcement personnel. I was sorry to hear about a corrections officer that passed away from the virus, uh, William Steck, only 56 years old. And wondering what your thoughts are about um, the corrections officers and others who work in law enforcement that were concerned about not, you know, being uh, safeguarded, if you will, from prisoners and other people that they're dealing with on a day-to-day basis. Do you have a, a thought on that? Well, I, I do. It, it was uh, I mean, just terrible news. And of course, our prayers go out to the officer's family and others that, uh, that are affected by this. Um, we know that there's many more correction officers and police officers that are infected. Um, it, it's understandable, uh, especially in a correctional setting where the space is very confined. 
and people are close to each other. And so the obligation, of course, is to try to ensure that they have the proper protective equipment in place and to the extent that they can um, have policies in place that are followed to provide uh, as much safety for them as they can. So we, we look at those frontline workers. And you mentioned the law enforcement workers first, so I'll, I'll, I'll mention those first, but everybody, of course, is critical, whether it's the correction officers, police officers, firefighters, all of our healthcare workers, uh, those the, the emergency responders, the doctors, the nurses, the medical assistants, all of these individuals that we now rely on um, for help during a crisis, they are on the front lines and they it's hard for them to help other people if they don't stay healthy themselves. So we have to be concerned about them. Uh, they are putting themselves in harm's way on a daily basis. And to the extent that we can, we should be getting the personal protective equipment, the various resources to all of those frontline workers so they can continue to help all of us. And how are you coping with uh, social distancing and, and uh, the challenges that this unprecedented virus has uh, thrust upon all of us? How are you doing and how are you dealing with it? Well, I appreciate you asking. Uh, uh, my family is the same as every as all other families, we are uh, essentially, we're, we're, we're working hard to follow the rules. We're spending a lot of quality time together. We're very, we're very fortunate um, in that we are all healthy. Uh, my staff, uh, same thing. They are home with their families, but they're working. They're working on a regular basis out of their homes, trying to help, help others. And fortunately, everybody is healthy so far, and, and people are keeping the positive attitudes about this. But it, it, as far as the work that I do uh, as as the elected senator for this district, um, we try to make sure that we're properly representing people. We try to properly serve our constituents. That work continues, much, although much more of it is over the telephone. While we were in Albany, uh, we, of course, made adjustments in procedures, a lot of working from the offices, teleconferencing, social distancing, but our work continues. So we, we still try to navigate that uh, through social media, through telephone, as opposed to that face-to-face -face interaction. Senator Pat Gallivan, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, stay safe, and we'll talk to you soon, okay? Okay, guys. Thanks for keeping people informed. Take care. Thank you. Thank you. That is State Senator Pat Gallivan joining us here on Hardline. Coming up next, we have the governor, no, he's not joining us. He is giving his daily briefing. We will carry that to you live as we do every day here on WBEN. And then at noon for a few segments, we will have Mayor Byron Brown. He will give us an update on everything going on in the city of Buffalo. And then one to four, Tom Bowerly will be here with you, taking your calls, keeping you informed, keeping it live and local. We've got a break to hit, and then we'll be back. It's Joe Beamer and Brenda Alacy here on News Radio 930 WBEN. It's Hardline here on News Radio 930 WBEN, standing by for Governor Andrew Cuomo to give his daily briefing. When he does, we'll give that, we'll bring that to you live. Usually, those go for about an hour, uh, so that will that will be the 11 o'clock hour, and then Mayor Byron Brown at noon joins Brenda and I with the latest information.
He will uh, give us an update on the city of Buffalo and their response to the coronavirus. As you know, um, most people working from home. I am here in the studio. Brenda is at home hosting from her home studio. During the week, we both took turns hosting from our home studio. So uh, it's an interesting experience, right, right, Brenda? It certainly is. I don't know if you can hear my dog barking. I apologize for that. Same thing happened on uh, on Wednesday. Some uh, other dog got right in front of the window, and, well, I don't have to tell you what happened. <laughs> it certainly is uh, extraordinary times in more ways than one, Joe. But, uh, you know, we'll make it work and uh, appreciate uh, people listening and and the opportunity to bring uh, these press conferences to our listeners live. I think it's so important to be able to hear what's happening, whether it's the president, uh, the mayor, the governor, there's something new happening at all times. So definitely keep it locked on uh, News Radio 930 WBEN. Yes, and these uh, will be the latest numbers from the governor. So we'll take that to you. But in the meantime, we will get you up to date with Mr. Alan Harris here on News Radio 930 WBEN. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively sports. The clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. Yes, and even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. 